Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Today we welcome Dennis Fitoko, the founder, publisher, editor-in-chief of the award-winning Life, Culture and Biz New Media Digest, Biz Catalyst 360, uh, with an emphasis on action. Amazing writers in this publication empower people to transcend from knowing what to do to actually doing it by delivering the very best insights, intelligence and inspiration available anywhere. They do this by placing their writers and audience at the forefront. It's magical, it's evergreen, and quite frankly, it's just good stuff, period. Dennis is also the founder and chief encouragement officer of Good Works 360, a global nonprofit social impact enterprise dedicated to providing mission critical pro bono services to good nonprofits worldwide. Dennis is a contributing author to the best selling book, Chaos to Clarity Sacred Stories of Transformational Change. Awesome. Welcome, Dennis. So glad to uh, invite you into our alumni. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for the kind introduction. I'm really, really happy to talk to you folks tonight. Super fun for us to be on this side of the <laughs> microphone and you to be on that side of the microphone. <laughs> yes. More often than not, we're in an experience yeah. where the roles are reversed. I understand. As long as there's no get-evens here, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also heartwarming to read that beautiful introduction and think about those amazing writers who the publication empowers and me and Teresa are both oh, one yeah. of those yeah. writers so you know indeed you are yes can't go wrong with a bit of flattery to start with no, both not at all. <laughs> all right so we usually kick off talking about someone's passion or some session but um with you, Dennis, we would like to really understand a bit about your backstory or how you've come to found such a really different way of showcasing different voices and and how you do all this good work so maybe just a bit of a, a backstory and, and help our listeners find out a bit more about who you are of course of course thanks so much for that you know you mentioned the word passion it actually plays into our backstory because we've been doing this now for about eight years and i'll give you a little more sense on how it got started but you know people talk about what we do and the best way we can describe it it's not an occupation, it is an occupation. And, and that really comes under the umbrella that from the moment we launched Biz Catalyst 360, from the moment we launched Good Work 360, and anything in between, everything that you folks know that we do, it's always been done for good. And I say that because there's no economics, there's no advertising, there's no catches, there's no surprises. We really are. And I spend a lot of time defending this because the skeptical world we live in doesn't believe that anybody can do this and spend that amount of time and not look for a return. Well, the return is there, but it isn't, the value is not in cash. It's in relationships. The fact that you, you folks wouldn't be talking to me right now. And we know so many good people around the world uh, because of what we do. How we got into it, I'll, I'll give you the high level story. I spent 30 some years in international banking. I did mergers and acquisitions. I opened companies. I did a big one in Florida. I did one up in Toronto area. Opened a business over here in England. Did some work over in Australia. And I did that for many years. Did a lot of traveling. Somewhere along the line, 
sold all the businesses except for the one in England, came over here, lived over here for a while, met my wife over here, ended up selling the business over here. And then we ended up together, uh, we got married, ended up back in Tampa, Florida, and relatively young, very blessed with the amount of economic success we had. And then it's like the dog chasing the car. What do you do with it? You've caught the car finally. And you know, so many people are reaching for that holy grail. We feel like we got it. And then you have this sudden surge of, my goodness, what am I going to do? Too young to retire. So let's figure out what we want to do. And as we do with many things, we started taking our morning walks around the block before the sun comes up. And we decided nine, 10 years ago that we want to defend our time three different ways. The first way is traveling. Now, we did a lot of traveling, each of us, because she was in a different kind of banking, traveling all over Europe. But we didn't do any intentional travel. The travel I did, in fact, I can tell you I've been to South Korea, but I can tell you the airport, the meeting room, the taxi, and the airport. So I'd been everywhere at least once, but never really saw where I was. And she could tell you a similar story. So we said, whatever we do, we're going to reserve at least a third of our time for travel. But intentionally means we're going to discover parts of the world that we're interested in, learn about other cultures. And this may be surprising, but we're going to put the USA at the bottom of the list. We're going to discover the USA when we're too old and crotchety to get on airplanes. And we're going to rent, rent that RV and drive around Route 66. But that's the bottom of our list. Because we had learned how many people have never left America. It's a pretty big number, somewhere around 60%. We didn't want to become those people because we've learned through our business travel that you look at the world differently once you've seen the rest of the world. So one third of the time travel. Second thing was we wanted to invest time in something that we really had an aspiration for both of us, but didn't have the time to do. And that's nonprofits and giving back. And I don't mean giving back by writing a check. We do that, of course. We wanted to do things where you roll up your sleeves, you get in the mud, you get in the trenches. So we started volunteering for like the American Red Cross and said, look, we will go anywhere in the world that there's a disaster. We'll pay our way to get there. The only two conditions, number one, we always do it together. And number two, we don't want to be the bureaucrats in the back room. We want to be in the weeds feeding people. That's what you need. We got heavily involved in Tampa Bay where we live, Tampa Bay nonprofits, did everything and we're still doing that. We're delivering meals every week. We're doing the same delivery for over 10 years now and I've gone on to join boards. But we got to the point, and this is gonna lead a little bit into Good Works, our other operation you mentioned. A couple of years back, we said, we're doing a lot of great things on the nonprofit side by volunteering and all kinds of neat things. But we've got this powerful platform called Biz Catalyst. It's a kind of a funnel to the world there's got to be a way that we can match our nonprofit desire to help more people with this giant platform. So two years ago, I guess it'd be two years ago, October, we launched what we call Good Works 360. And the theory was pretty simple. We wanted to be able to say to any good nonprofit anywhere in the world, if you need help, we're going to help you virtually and it's going to be for free. And here it is two years later. We've now engaged, if you will, with about three dozen nonprofits. We've got just over, I think it was four dozen high-level skilled people like you folks that have volunteered to help us around the world because obviously we can't do it ourselves, but we catalog their skills and we've got every skill you can imagine that a small business would want. And that's what a nonprofit is really. So we got that going. 
And then the third thing we wanted to do is keep our minds active. And, you know, a lot of Americans retire and they start playing Sudoku or doing crossword puzzles. That wasn't us. That's where the website that Catalyst came in saying, we're going to build this thing. We have no technology background. You know, we're not developers. We're not website people. But we do know what we want when we go to the web. And we learn that from traveling and business and searching and searching and searching for good stuff, as I call it, current stuff, meaningful stuff stuff that didn't come out of the textbook that came out of people's lives, mm. like some of the stories you folks have told. And so we gave birth to Biz Catalyst, but our, since we were blessed with the ability to not have to worry about advertising and an editorial board, it gave us the freedom to say, you know, what would we want in a website that we'd like to visit every morning? So we took every rule that we could find from people that wrote for Forbes, Huffington Post, and we broke them all and said, look, here's our proposition to a writer. And you folks have heard this. You know, if Teresa wants to write, Teresa, that's all we want you to do. We're going to do the editing. We're going to do the styling. We're going to pick the best image we can find in the world. We don't care if it's 100 words or 2,000 words. We don't care how often you write. We don't care what the topic's about. So we've said to the world, and we learned those boundaries because the writers we talked to were so hamstrung, it almost gave them writer's block because they're pressured. Now I've got to do another one next week. So we broke all those rules, launched it. Since we weren't worrying about the economics, we didn't care about SEO and Google and all those things that everybody warned us. Then we broke the major rule in the publishing world. We said, if you've written something, we'll republish it. Because if either one of you spend time writing an article, you know how much time it takes to get those words right. And you write it and it's a great article and it's not breaking news, it's timeless stuff. And you publish it and you put it on LinkedIn, you put it on Facebook. Two weeks later, it's kind of gone the cycle, and now you're starting with a blank sheet of paper. We're saying that's still good stuff. Well, again, the experts said you can't republish things. Google is going to cream you when it comes to your site rankings. End result of that story is it's now just over eight years later. We've won two international awards. We have about 800 writers on six continents, and our Google rankings are literally through the ceiling. I've talked, and we've published just under 24,000 articles now. I've talked to the experts from back then that said, you can never do this. It said, help me understand, how did we get here with this visibility? And we're gonna have like 2.2 million visitors this year. He said, the reason Google has lifted your rankings over the years, it's pure critical mass. You're publishing just an avalanche of stuff. Google can't ignore you anymore. <laughs> so uh, we, I guess our stealth won over in the end. But the blessing that we have is because we're giving our writers such freedom, they just keep on coming because the rules are still out there with the other guys. And the last part of the story really is during this pandemic time, there's a lot of writing going on about you know, people questioning what the government's doing, people questioning what the doctors are saying. And there's a lot of other stuff where, as you folks have heard, a lot of the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, what have you, are keying off keywords and censoring things. People have come to us saying, you won't censor it. We want to write for you. Now, it has to be respectful. It's got to be good stuff. But it, we've now given everybody the ability to just spread their rings and do what they love to do. And that's right. So apologies for the long story. It's probably longer than that one. But uh, that's how we got here. And we're just, we're just so blessed to be able to continue to do it as an occupation, not an occupation, because we can still travel the world. You can do a website anywhere. We can still do the good works because we can do that from everywhere. So we have all three things going at the same time. Our challenge now, and it started this year, is now that we've got this thing working, 
you know, what more can we do with it? And that leads us into other big events that we've been talking about that we're doing now where we can say, let's use this platform at a time where humanity needs more good stuff. And let's see if we can find other ways to use it for good. And so your tagline, like 360 Nation is humanity rediscovered. And you've got Biz Catalyst 360, Hope Fest 360, Good Works 360. Mm -hmm. And then you provided us with this quote. I wrote it down immediately. You look at the world differently once you've seen the world. Yeah. I'm curious, the 360. Yeah. Like that's in, it seems very intentional. So could it you is. give us the snapshot behind how that became part, how that number plays significance for you? Um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna love this answer. I'll tell you just how studied we were as uh, people that were starting a website. We wanted to name Biz Catalyst, it wasn't available. So we tuck on 360. Now, over time, though, Teresa, that's taken on a life of its own, as you can see. But it's intended, if you look by definition, to encompass the world, you know, the whole circle. So we didn't know by accident we came up with a, a number that now becomes the umbrella for all we do. And it's our writing is whatever you want to write. It's all circular and it all connects. That was pure coincidence, but we're happy ended up that way. That's become part of the core brand now, if you will. Great question, though. We've never been asked that one. <laughs> great. Well, Jeff, I'm all about the great questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really love, but, you know, hearing that story, it's, it's new to me, so I'm sure we'll be telling this listeners, is hearing the purpose, the, the intention behind it. And I know that, you know, you, you're not doing it for money, you're not doing it for fame or any of these kind of yeah. egotistical reasons. And the way that you embrace everybody you, you naturally have this kind of you, you seek out more diverse voices you seek out to to include everyone and anyone as long as they're you know abide by a few little touch points but always whenever I read something that you post on there I'm so amazed and impressed by the the real scope and the range that not what individuals are capable of because obviously we all will appreciate that but the, the fact that you have this kind of magnetic pull that is attracting all of these different voices and, and hearts to come and you're showcasing them, you're giving them this arena. And, and it may be as simple as that, you know, you're providing something that other people aren't. And so it, you know, you're like a light and you know, these people are, are attracted to it. And then in turn, you just help radiate that message even further. So I don't know if people are watching the video of this or not, but he has this amazing background. It's got loads of these kind of branding images and things on there and we'll touch on some of them, but there's one on there, Salem 360. Now, I know that you also have very close connections with the Humans First movement. I mean, yep. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and, it, and the oh, Friendship yeah. Bench? Absolutely. The, the two you're saying is Salon 360 and Friendship Bench. Friendship Bench has been around just under a year. And it started with a very simple notion. And that was, I think we launched on April Fool's Day, as a matter of fact, in America. No coincidence, of course. It was just based on, I'd done some reading over the years and I discovered this um, notion of a friendship bench. I don't have the location, but it was over there in uh, the sub-Sahara region, uh, uh, very poor communities. And there was a gentleman whose name escapes me right now, but he actually started this thing in some of these poor communities that were underdeveloped, impoverished. And he would have these grandmothers who had a lot of wisdom of experience, like most grandmothers just naturally have. And they would come out and sit on a bench in the middle of the town. And they would be there every day. And if either any of us had a problem or an issue or a concern, 
we would go sit with the grandmothers. And that was what they called the friendship bench. I was reading about that just over a year ago. I said, boy, that's a really neat concept. Then I learned that some of them have extended into London, into New York, and it's extended deeper into the African region, if you will. And then I intersected with human first. And Mike, I said, Mike, I got this idea for a bench. You've got this thing going on every day. I, I see Thursdays open. Why don't we collaborate? And, uh, you know, with your brains and my bench, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll do great things. And that was history. And I have to say, we've, we're having a friendship bench this week, as we do every Thursday. And this one's going to be interesting because we're going to be focusing specifically on the history of the bench and the story behind it and what it's, be, what it's morphed into, because never did we expect it would become what it is today. And that is people put this on their calendar. They're telling us almost like a business meeting. They're not going to miss it. It's important to them. It has become that safe place where you can go and just kind of check out from all this darkness around us, laugh a little bit, always learn a little bit. And as we all know, make some really neat relationships, because once you get into those breakout rooms and start talking about almost anything, uh, you're going to connect with people. So that's become a neat place to go every Thursday. And we've learned so much more than we've given to that uh, bench. The second thing we're doing is Salon 360. That actually came from the bench. And what I mean by that is we're doing this bench starting in April. We're doing it every week. And, you know, we're covering all kinds of neat subjects. Meanwhile, there's a pandemic coming on. Meanwhile, there's a presidential election coming on in America. Meanwhile, there's all these racial issues around us. It's almost like we were having these nice discussions with all these elephants in the room, but they weren't being allowed in because you, at the bench is 60 minutes. You really don't have the time to do any deep discussions and do them justice. So I went back and said to Mike, look, I've got another idea here. It's on our whiteboard and I did, I'd happened to be reading again. And maybe this is just serendipity. I was reading about this thing that used to happen back in the uh, 1800s in uh, Paris, France. They had salons of enlightenment, they called them, where the higher echelons of society would go and call it a very, very nice looking pub. I've seen pictures of this thing. And the higher society would go there you know, on Saturday evenings and they would solve the world's problems because they were all obviously much smarter than the rest of the world, at least they thought they were. But I drew the history of that and said, boy, that would be neat to bring that forward, get rid of the elitist thing christen it Salon 360, but the concept's the same. Let's come together, but we're not going to do what we did at the Friendship Bench. We're going to do it for twice as long. It's going to be two hours long, and we're going to deep dive into those big elephants around us. We're going to talk about racial issues. We're going to talk about all this. That's what we started with. It doesn't meet every week. It meets every two months because we want time in between for people to actually act upon some of the things that they've been enlightened by. So that's been a really different kind of form, but the concepts the same, good people getting together, good relationships, but the discussions are much more intense and you really have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I can concur. You need to be comfortable <laughs> with being uncomfortable. Perhaps that's how you also went about selecting individuals, having known them already and kind of going, this person can handle this kind of a conversation, this kind of an environment, being part of them. We certainly do tackle lots of uncomfortable, difficult oh, things amen. perhaps to talk about, but difficulty is something that is a mindset. Like what I find difficult, other people won't find difficult and vice versa. I agree. 
there's this element of the work that you do, and it was in your introduction, the words like just good stuff. Mm. Like, I love that, the simplicity of that. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Like, let's just do some good stuff. And that, that is our entire editorial policy in those two words. Really? Seriously, we went to other websites. You look at Forbes, you look at, and they got pages of this is what, blah, blah. no, just good stuff. I think, Teresa, you know what good stuff, Chris, you know what good stuff. So why do we need to say more than that? Either it is or it isn't. Mm. Ooh, I'm a big fan of black and white, but sometimes that has derailed me <laughs> in the plan. That has derailed me yes. in the past. Yes. It's, it's the like, shades of gray in the middle. a little bit of shades of gray in the middle. Like, yes, yes, yes. So where does this, where does this come from? This sense of, let's just do some good stuff. Another great question. It came from the fact that we honestly, and I use this word a lot, we just feel blessed. We felt blessed that we had, we have the ability to make choices that particularly today in the current, in the current times, but even eight years ago, we have choices and we really hold them in such high regard saying, wow, we are blessed. You know, we could do nothing, but that doesn't feel good. And we knew where our heart and our heads were. And if we can translate that blessing into uplifting other people in whatever way it can be, why not? And again, that was just a theory, Teresa. We didn't know how powerful that could be eight years ago. And we just kind of rolled with the punches. And let me also say, we have made every mistake in the book when it comes to building a website. I remember waking up here in England about five years ago and it was gone. The website was gone. Why was it gone? Because Dennis did something stupid the night before. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I couldn't push that button. Anyhow, but so we've seen the worst of it, but we've been blessed. I mean, like it recovered the next day. We had good people step in. People now that are supporting us years later that we treasure, but at the point then, you know, they were just priceless to us and they become friends. So each step in a way, we think there's a lot of you know, they always, I hate to use that old saying, you know, you, you get more than you give, but we realize that we see that we see the return on what we're doing, come back around in other ways that are just hard to explain. Some people call it good karma, serendipity. I don't know what to call it, but it just works. Certainly does. And that definitely resonates with me. And you both know that's important for me and what I'm doing and my purpose. But, um, Go back to your origin story and you were telling us about your history, you know, you traveled all over the world, you went to lots of places, you experienced things, but you never really saw things, you didn't feel them, you didn't really get beneath the surface and your role as a mergers and acquisitions, we all have assumptions about what that means, but you know, essentially it means taking over things, possibly yeah. taking things apart, dismantling things, selling pieces on and, and all of those things and then in direct controversy to... or contradictory to, to that style, for that approach, that mindset, that kind of purpose, you decided to do the opposite and start giving back and start including everyone else and, and building something. I think building something is, is definitely what you've been doing. And often when we have people on here who are sharing these, you know, really life-changing moments, there was some experience, something which made you have that change of mind. You know, you said you retired and then that's obviously a big transitory moment in anyone's life but is there something more there can we dig a little bit deeper can we find out what it was that you know really united yeah. both of you beyond your you know your loving yeah, connection yeah. into a purposeful connection that's a very intuitive question there because yes when i was a banker you know we both know what humans first is as an m a type guy i truly was human second 
You know what I mean by that? You come in, it's more about the consolidation. It's more about the money savings and the people are just part of the game, if you will. So that would be a good definition of human second. Early in my banking career, I'm going to use those words blessed again. I was in my early 20s, didn't have any college education. And to this day, I still don't have a degree in anything other than life. Um, because I came from an Italian Catholic family in Pittsburgh. We had eight children and, you know, just getting three meals on the table. Father worked three jobs. You know, all those classic stories you see in movies. Well, that was us. Weren't unhappy. Didn't know that we didn't have much because that was our world. My friends were my brothers and sisters. So I grew up, joined the Air Force because that was my way out of Pittsburgh. That was how I was going to see a little bit of the world, get a little bit of education because college never came into the discussions. It wasn't in the picture. Now, I got lucky. I got in the Air Force, did my time, got discharged, got placed by the Air Force into a banking career, low level, collecting money somewhere in Philadelphia from people that had borrowed money. But I learned from my father the value of hard work. You know, we didn't see him much, but we felt his presence. And his advice was, always do the right thing, always be honest, always pay your bills. I've already said more to you folks than I probably ever said to my father. He's a very shy Italian guy. He didn't speak much. He spoke Italian when he got angry, <laughs> but it wasn't exactly teaching us the language. It was more just us, you know, hiding somewhere when we heard it. Anyhow, this takes me to my banking career. I didn't have a degree. I had to make it up in hard work. And I was always the last guy out of the building. I was the guy when they said, will you go there, you know, travel there? I'll do it. I raised my hand. I would go anywhere and do anything because I always felt like I had to rise above those guys with all those plaques on the walls. Eventually, that intersected with my career, which means I had done enough of that, that I started to rise through the ranks. And the certificates on the wall didn't mean as much as my experience and the risk taking that I did and the, the travel I had done. And then I became, you know, part of the executive team in banking. And then I learned that it was better to hire people that worked hard. Human resources would always come in with these stacks of resumes. These people have bachelor's degrees. These people have two years degrees. These people don't. They never wanted to show me the don'ts. I started with the don'ts and I worked the other way around. Early in my career, as I really got into running things, I was blessed by working with two types of people. Some of the darn best bankers, in, in, in my opinion, in the country, but also some of the worst. And I learned probably as much from both. Mm -hmm. But what I learned from the good guys was that old saying, always do the right thing, even when no one's watching. Mm -hmm. And that, that came back to define myself two or three times in my banking career when I was at the top of the heap. And I had situations where, you know, you discover something in the middle of the bank and what do I do with this? I don't have to do anything, but if I do something, heads are going to roll. People are going to get fired above me because I find people cooking the books or doing this. I always had to define myself and it happened two or three times in pretty significant situations, but I always went back to that advice, do the right thing. You know, you're, you walk into the office, you're scared, you're going to lose your job. Because if you show the goods on somebody that's senior to you, the chairman of the bank has two choices, escort you out because he likes that guy or it's his friend or escorts him out. In both two or three cases that I've done it, the other guy was escorted. I'm sorry, the other guys left to spend more time with their family. Right. And I, and I, <laughs> I soldiered on and I never forgot the value of doing the right thing. Now that's not necessarily connected to what we're talking about today. But to me, it's connected to doing good because you still have to make those choices where you're defining yourself. And I think during these tough times over the last six months, everybody's going through this loss of control and all these restrictions. 
there's a lot of decisions we have to make right now, or choices of doing the right thing or the wrong thing. You know, it could be wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, doing this or doing that. I think those lessons have really come back to help me when even in building the site and doing other things we're doing or dealing with nonprofits, you're always faced with that intersection of the convenient thing or the right thing. And with us, we've learned the value of the right thing. And like I said earlier, it comes full circle. You know, when Brene Brown talks quite a bit about vulnerability and bravery and the difficult conversations we need to have sometimes, and one of her phrases is clear as kind. And so when you say always do good and always do the right thing, they do in essence, I think, mean exactly the same thing, just like when Brene talks about clearest kind is sometimes you have to say things in such clarity with such authenticity Amen. because you're being kind to allow someone to know the right information. It might not be what they want to hear. You can't control that side of the things that they might feel a certain way about it. It is that in a day or two, or a year or two, depending on the individual, when they reflect back on it, they'll have their moment of clarity when they go, that was the best thing for me. It was really hard then, but it absolutely was the best thing for me. And I do think, and this is, I've had a question over the years, like, you know, well, what if you don't know what the right thing is? I think from the age of reason, whatever age you want to call it, eight years old, you know what the right thing is. Maybe mom and dad won't catch you, but you really know what you should be doing. And for the rest, I don't care what your parents taught you, I think there's an innate sense of right and wrong. There's probably some exceptions to it, but generally speaking. So I don't buy the, I'm not quite sure what the right thing is. Mm-hmm. I buy the, of course you do. It's just a question of choices. And it, the convenient one, unfortunately, tends to overrule the right one too often in society. And I'm not on a pulpit there. I've just, I've witnessed it. You mentioned that you have a degree in life compared yes. to certificates on the wall which I just love that because I do believe that action trumps knowledge all the time. And so I'm wondering what your degree in life has taught you. Oh boy. I probably just, I probably answered that differently, but you know, doing the right thing, it's kind of under the same vein. You see on social media every day, some wonderful quotes, some wonderful slogans. And maybe during these difficult times, you see more of those streaming along. You know, what I've learned is they're great slogans, they're great quotes, but they don't mean much unless you're going to do something with them. In other words, don't share this banner with me of this marvelous, hope-filled thing that can change the world you live in, unless you, whoever's sharing it, are going to do something with it. Now, that may sound a little critical, maybe it is, but I've learned, I, I just have this predisposition to doing something versus just talking about it. You know, in Salon 360, our slogan is time to start walking versus talking, you know? It's all about doing more. We always end leaning forward towards action. In Salon 360, at the end of that session, it isn't just, okay, thanks, we'll see you in two months. It's what what have you learned and what are you gonna do with that knowledge to go create some ripples of change? Because we want people to take ownership and. I don't think I can say that unless I'm taking ownership and doing more, which kind of drives everything we've talked about. You know, Salon, the bench, this Hope Fest thing we're working on, the good works, that's all about doing more and kind of walking the talk so then we feel empowered to encourage other people to do it. I love that, Anna. You know, 
it's fair that you say, oh, it might be critical, but for me, I think it's more about, it's more of a challenge. You're challenging them. You're, you're asking people to step up. You're, yeah. you're presenting the opportunity. And it, you know, whether we're talking about coaching, whether we're talking about leadership, whether we're talking about parenting, whatever it might be, the way in which you frame something to remove that doubt about he's being critical to, oh, he's pushing or she is pushing me to actually live up to my potential or live up to the words that I'm saying, or as you say, put into action this wonderful quote. And you know, that leads us hopefully nicely to a little segue here to talk about your hope fest, which I was desperate to get in before we run out of time. So perhaps you could uh, expand a little bit about on what your hope is. Let me just say, this is not a promotional opportunity for me, this because we believe in this, like everything else, it's not about economics, we're not selling anything. Uh, maybe we are selling. We're selling a little bit of good faith and hope going forward. But I'll tell you the story behind it and where we are today. Literally almost two months to the day, my wife and I were doing our normal walk around our neighborhood right before the sun comes up and while you unplug from all this noise. And I said to her, I said, you know, it's really dark out there right now. Dark, I don't mean light. I'm talking about the elections going on and there's all this bad news coming on and all this arguments and all this debate and all this negative. There's the pandemic and here we go again. There's the racial things going on in America. I said, there's just darkness everywhere everybody turns. And then you add to the fact that people are sheltering at home and all those stories of terrible things happening, the, the seniors that are trapped in their care homes, that we need to do something bigger, better, braver, and scarier than we've ever done. And I don't care if we don't know how to do it, we'll figure it out. And that was the beginning of Hope Fest. We said, here's what we want to do. We want to go out to people that we know, you know, we'll sprinkle the dust out there and see if we can gather a few with one question. And that is, what are your hopes for the future? And send that to us in a video. And we don't want it rehearsed and we don't want a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> we just want you to speak as though somebody came up to you on the street and tapped you on the shoulder and said, what are your hopes? Let it roll. We don't care if it's 30 seconds long. We don't care if it's 30 minutes long. As long as you're speaking from the heart, answer the question. Well, that was the beginning. We didn't know what to expect, but we knew that that was our objective. And our intent was to take whatever we got, stitch it together into this longer video and broadcast it on New Year's Day. Well, that was two months ago. As of this morning, I was just doing an update. We have 132 videos from six continents. Uh, we have 185 voices. We have ages five to 85 plus. We have 27 recording artists, one of which is a Grammy nominee that have stepped up and donated their music because they want to be part of it. So what started out as a little idea of saying, can we do this, has now started out to be a world event. We're getting press from around the world. We had a Hollywood guy call us and say, he's a producer. He wanted to help us with this thing because he got wind of it. And I guess more people, given where we are in the world, and I want to use some of their excess time to give back. And what a convenient way. He wanted to help us with the production. And we said, no, we don't know what we're doing, but we're happy with that. And what I mean by that is we don't want this to look like a slick Hollywood production. We want it to look like ordinary people stitching together this quilt with ordinary people voices coming into the quilt and ordinary music coming in. And that was a scary thing to say because clearly we had never done anything of this magnitude. We had never uploaded hours and hours to YouTube. Could they even handle it? Well, I'm happy to say we're now two weeks into production, we think, and this is a scary thing to say, we think we've got it all figured out. We think it's gonna be about a seven hour production. 
we decided we're going to broadcast it starting at noon Eastern time on New Year's Eve. Now, I did say earlier that we were going to do the New Year. Well, did some research, and the first territory in the world that comes into the New Year is Christmas Island, which is coincidentally a nice title, but it's a territory of Australia. So when their sun comes up or when their New Year's clock ticks over, they'll be seeing it effectively first. So everybody in the world will see it as their sun comes up. And the last part of this, which is we're thankful for the feedback someone said to us about three weeks ago, said, I really like what you're doing to have a video on with music and all that for seven or eight hours on New Year's Day nights. But, you know, I want the ability to consume it and I can't obviously sit there for eight hours. He said, why don't you carve it up into pieces? And we thought that was a brilliant idea. So what started out as a New Year's Day thing is now going to be carved after New Year's into 30 pieces of hope. So the entire month of January is going to be a month of hope. And, you know, little bite-sized segments, maybe 15 minutes long. And the guy said, I'd rather listen to this in small pieces when I do my morning walk with my wife, like a podcast. So it's going to be an entire month of hope. And this may be hard to believe, 130-some videos, and there is very little overlap as the message. I'm happy to say that only one person has asked for world peace. <laughs> a former Miss America pageant. Probably. Uh, <laughs> well, when you hear that there's a, the youngest we have is actually a five-year-old little girl here in the UK, but there's a young boy, he's eight years old, he's in Pennsylvania, and he's sitting on a couch, and his answer is about 30 seconds long, but he's at that age still where he hasn't been, uh, I say, poisoned by the outside world, so his answers are really, really neat because they're right from the heart, and I think one of his answers, I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but one of them was, is, I want no more cancer. So many stories like that that just keep evolving from this thing, so... Who knows where we'll go, but we're even more excited than we were when we launched the thing. And I think the value of it, as with everything else we did, was they understood it was all just for good. So, Mr. Thomas, that's a commitment from you to send us a video. Since you're, yes, it is. You heard it here, everybody. Yes, it is. I want this on tape because your co-conspirator's already done so. <laughs> co-conspirator. We're in production, though. But we will open the door to one more video for you. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you said you're going to be 30 days of hope in January, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's 31 days in January, so there's, well, there's still a little bit of space there. It's the, 30 day, it's the 30 days following New Year's. Oh, okay. <laughs> and if we have to add an extra day for your video, we will. Oh, gosh, it's going to have to be long then, isn't it? Okay. Right. It'll be a, it'll be a leap January. <laughs> a whole day. <laughs> a day of hope. This is a perfect segue into the hashtag of not anymore, because for our listeners, we really like to give them a practical, I can do this right now, take away, take action. I mean, basically when you decided Hope Fest 360, and this is what it's going to be, and you pitched it out to people, what you did was you gave opportunity for people to do something good. And if the opportunity is there, most people will leap at that opportunity and right. take it, right? You made it so easy to do, literally so easy to do. And it was something that in all likelihood connected very deeply with their humanity. So they rose to the occasion and answered the call. Based on everything that we've been speaking about is really around this theme of do good. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you were to provide our audience with your best golden nugget of what can they start doing, do differently, that can actually put that into action. 
That's a great question. Now, I, I, again, this is going to sound a little bit promotional. It's not meant to do that, but we've been asked that question. Now, we started going down this journey of rediscovering humanity, which is kind of the backbone of 360 Nation a couple of years back because we were feeling it, but people would go to our main website, they'd go to Good Works, they'd go to these online, they couldn't quite figure out what, our, what we were up to. So because of questions, almost like the one you've asked, Teresa, we created the umbrella of 360 Nation and defined that to be, here's what we believe in. It's not a movement, it's an ethos. It's in other words, these are the values that we believe are important if you truly wanna roll back a little bit and rediscover humanity. Now there's a page on our website, which I'm happy to provide and because it defines what I mean by that. Because here's what happened. We wrote an article, and I rarely write articles because I learned you can only do publisher this, you can't do both. And mm -hmm. when I write them, I'm so paranoid that people we know, like, did I mention Susan Brooks? She'll read everything and she'll send me the typos back. So I'm very careful. But I wrote an article, and it was called In Search of Humanity, Time to Do More. And the reason I wrote that is people are asking us, look, we want to rediscover humanity. We were under the presumption that people kind of knew what that meant. Well, they don't. So we said, let's tell you the story on what we mean by that. Here's what we mean by that. And we listed seven things in that article that you could do starting today. Just to give you some examples, it was like more action. And what, what do we mean by that? We defined it. Act now and act if what you're doing makes a difference because it does. More appreciation, more authenticity. You know, all those wonderful values. You know, we had seven of them. And then we published it. And then we started getting feedback. And we said, if you have any ideas, tell us. That article is now up to 38 action steps for people that want to know, what can I do starting tomorrow? We've actually converted it. So if you go to that article and click on it, you can get a PDF roadmap, which means if you just do one of these things every day, you're going to cover an entire month. And guess what? You can start over again next month because they're not saying ring your neighbor and see how they're doing, but they're saying show compassion. Well, you can do a lot of ways of showing compassion. So, Teresa, we actually were inspired by those questions, almost like the one you asked, to define who we were in a broader sense. So now we got 360 Nation. It defines the principles, the values, why we're doing what we're doing, all the things we're doing. It helped us define who we were, and we stopped presuming that people, as much as they wanted to do more, they weren't quite sure how to do it. Every page on our website takes you to 360 Nation. So it's bizcatalyst360.com and you'll find everything that we've had the opportunity to talk about on there. Lovely. Thank you. Which is the best way for people to also be in touch with you, like yes. likely through your website. Exactly. Amazing. Okay. Thank you for all of that, Dennis. Um, are you ready for the <laughs> rapid fire Q and A? Oh no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the most fun game. The most fun game, you mean my most fun game? The most fun game. No, it's like a proclamation in the world. This rapid fire Q&A is the most fun game. <laughs> oh, five, crown, five crowns. Five crowns, that's right. So we like to end it with a little bit of fun, right? Question number one, which emotion catches you off guard most often? Uh, humility. And what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? I'm learning that it's okay to um, accept compliments, for lack of a better term, to acknowledge the fact that we've actually done something and, you know, smile a little more about it um, and be less robotic. 
I'm going to interject here because I think that's so beautiful to be able to make the distinction between humility and meekness, which is humility. We're understanding that we're doing our occupation (laughs) and being able to say thank you for acknowledgement of what that means to other people is really behaving in humility. In meekness, playing small doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the person who's paid you the compliment. It doesn't serve the passion and the work that you're doing and putting out into the world. I think that's a really good distinction to make. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Number three, what's next in your personal evolution? Oh boy. I always think of my whiteboard in my office at home <laughs> uh, because it, it's hard to distinguish my personal evolution from everything I've told you, because this is kind of who we are and it's what we do. And it's not a, nine to five, okay, we turn it off now, and now we're going to be normal people and do for ourselves. So I always think of this whiteboard on my office at home, and whenever we're doing these morning walks, like the one with Hope Fest, Teresa, we come back, and Dennis will go in his office, and I got the grease board, and I'm putting up these ideas, and Hope Fest was one of them, and I remember talking to my wife one day, and I had some other brainy ideas, and uh, her job is to kind of push back and bring me back into reality. she came into my office and said, well, you know, what do you think of that? She said, I think I'm going to get rid of your whiteboard. <laughs> so um, there's always something on it, but it has to pass that feel-good litmus test, and it can't be, I'm going to use another technical term here, it can't be icky. Mm. It's got to feel good, and I don't know what that's going to be, but I can tell you things that continue to grow hope fast. We're already spurning a new channel on our website because we've learned with the graciousness of these artists, these independent artists that have come forward and said, we want to help. Well, you know, we don't want to close the door on them after hope that's there. Thanks. Go back and do your music. And someday somebody might discover you. We're opening a new channel now and it's going to be called Good Vibes 360. What are we going to do? We're going to recognize every one of those artists. But we're not going to just be like MTV with a bunch of music videos. We're saying to them, and one of them's already started doing it, tell us the story behind your song and then give us the song. So things are starting to spurn. That's maybe not real personal, but it's, I can't separate the two anymore because it's the life we live, Teresa. True authenticity right there. Thank you. Number four, when your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them? I ask them, how can I help? In meltdown situations, that may not be the best question because if they knew that, they probably wouldn't be melting down. (laughs) But I want them to understand, you know, rather than me tell them what I'm going to do, I need to help. You know, you can think of 10 things you can do for that person right now, but what's going to help them the most, I'd like to get it from them. And it may be just be here. Yep. And last question, in this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for? Two things. I'm most looking forward to seeing the fruits of all the labor. And I don't mean our labor. I mean all the people that donated videos and see what that does, the ripple effect of that. So I'm hopeful that's, and no pun intended, I'm hopeful that Hope Fest is going to really start to send a positive ripple through a lot of people's hearts and minds. And I'm also looking forward to the fact that we're going to do something that, again, all the website experts will tell you never do. We're going to take a digital sabbatical, not turn the lights off, but for 30 days, starting December 15th until effectively January 15th, this catalyst will not be publishing. It'll still be there. You can find everything and it all moves around. It looks like we're there, but no new stuff. 
And again, we've been told you can't do that. Well, we're going to do it because we learned also learned the value of self-care because we are intensely working on this stuff during the year. And it's a labor of love and we enjoy it. It is a passion, but we've learned you got to balance that. Here, here. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dennis, for sharing your stories and your wisdom and what's coming and the passion of all of it and all of the tips and brilliance that everyone can take from this. Oh, a magnificent. Yeah, I just concur with that. I mean, it's really nice to hear a bit more about you and your story and your passion and your, your occupation. And, and I'm hopeful that as we reach this festive season, this uh, message that you've spread throughout this conversation of doing the right thing, being truthful, helping others and embracing that hope and, and shining that light amidst all the darkness. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.